right, good morning, everybody. If you'll turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 10, and we'll try to get through 11 as well, um, that's where we'll be this morning. And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, the worship we've had so far in singing. We pray that we'd also worship with our hearts as we read your word. They're open and receptive to everything you have for us. Um, reading about these old saints, their love for you, um, their dedication to you. Um, they, were, they were hard people, um, tough people. And um, out of that Babylonian captivity came a lot of solid, solid people who were whose hearts were after yours, Lord. And so, Lord, we, we take that to heart this morning in our own lives. Um, we want to be those kind of people. We want to answer that call like they answered the call. And so I pray that you'd speak to our hearts uh, in all the areas that we need spoken to. Some are coming in with different problems, different things that went on this week, uh, seasons in life, uh, heartaches, uh, celebrations, uh, whatever it may be. We pray that you'd come alongside us this morning and minister to each and every one of us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the group of guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel, um, Daniel, some very solid, solid believers um, grew up in the toughest of circumstances. And I think that really... um, is a blessing. None of us ask for those kind of trials or would desire those kind of fiery furnaces in our lives, but the the result of those things in the believer's heart is always purification. When someone is walking with Jesus uh, now and these hardships come your way, all you have left is Christ. It really brings it home for you and becomes everything to you. He's everything. Everything else is falling apart. He doesn't. And you begin to appreciate the things in your life that don't fall apart in front of you because so much of this world is so fragile. Um, so much around us, so many people, um, circumstances, jobs. We, we learned that last year. How much is not set in stone. How lives can be changed in, in a moment with a decision from somebody else or whatever. And so we rely on Christ, and, and, and we see this in Nehemiah as he's, first of all, a solid, walks solidly with the Lord way back when he's the cupbearer in a foreign country. I mean, if anybody should be bitter or distant or, or uh, just not in tune with what God wants to do, be someone like that who's high up in the political chain right there in the throne room. It'd be really hard not to get caught up in, well, whatever Babylon was doing at the time or whatever um, Persia was doing at the time, depending on who was in charge. He wasn't. He's, his mind was always on Jerusalem, always on Israel, always on the things of God, doing his job and doing it well, or he wouldn't have been put in that position. But he never compromised. And a lot of us find ourselves in that position every single day of our lives. Not, we're not all surrounded by believers in Jerusalem. We're not all surrounded by people who love God and talk about God and Uh, have a relationship with him, and just smile when they say the name of Jesus. A lot of people, many of us, don't have that. And so you're required to be like a Nehemiah or a Daniel or a Shadrach or a Meshach or a Abednego or any of these men or even um, uh, 
Deborah or any of these women in the Bible that are following hard after God, regardless of what everybody else is doing. We find ourselves in those positions. So we get to the chapter here where there's more names. We won't begin until verse 28 is where I'm going to start. Um, These are the people in the first 27 verses here that sealed that promise we read last week in Nehemiah. They had made a a covenant, a, a promise, an oath. They would yell from this side the blessings it was to follow the Lord. They would yell from this side the curses of being disobedient to God, and they would hear it all. And they did this for a very, very long time, and they received it all, and they were ready, and they were hungry. And at the end of this big event, they all ratified it with their names. We agree. We agree. The most important thing we can do when we read the Bible is to start off with, we agree, God, first of all. Whether I'm nodding my head when I read the Bible and I'm like, I'm all on board with that, I got that down, or whether I read something and I realize I am way off base on this, I still want to come to God's word in agreement. This is what it looks like. When God warns me in Scripture, this is what it's going to happen to you if you go this route. I need to nod my head in agreement and be there because he knows what's best. He's my father who's always looking out for my best interest, and he has been for them. They realize that. We're back in the land. We've had three extraordinary leaders bring us back here. The walls are up in Jerusalem. It's a little rubbly, you know, not exactly comfortable here. But, boy, it's getting done. It's happening. The temple's up. We're worshiping again. We've got some priests over there. They're actually doing their job. This is exciting. And so they ratify this promise. So they set up the rest of their lives this way. Their whole lives revolve around God in this chapter. In verse 28, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath, to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. And I'll begin to describe those here after the colon, what those were. A couple things here. Everybody was on board with it. The society had decided that this is what we're going to do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, but everybody's houses, we're going to serve the Lord. We're all going to do this if we're living here. Everybody who had separated themselves from the world and had come to this place agreed, this is what we're going to do. And so they ratified that. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. We have lots of knowledge and understanding. We really don't have any excuse to not know what the Bible says. If, if we do not know what the Bible says, it may be because we're just in that place where we're Well, we're here, and we're walking our way towards that, but we should always be moving towards more, understanding him better. Anything other than that, that complacency, that that coasting that we can do in our Christian walk, that's just, well, it's no longer ignorance. It's just willful ignorance, and that's sin. We need to keep moving forward. If we're not moving forward with God, we're going backwards. One or the other is going to influence us. Either I'm being influenced by God's word or I'm being influenced by the world. And when I stop reading, studying, knowing, having a relationship in prayer and worship and singing with God, I can plan on the world creeping into my life. 
and everything that God warned us that would happen if I stop doing this and let this creep in absolutely will happen in my life. And I nod in agreement to that. And they have. And so they're going to set it up to where it's not like Babylon, where everything around us was antagonistic towards our relationship with God. Everything around us is going to be for the Lord. And it's almost cyclical when we read these kind of things in the sense that hard times, trouble, difficulties really make super strong believers. And those super strong believers get back to God and bring everybody, as many people as they can, back to God with them. And they have this beautiful place of walking with the Lord. And it doesn't matter what shop you go into. It doesn't matter what what meeting you go into. Everything is about the Lord over here. And that sometimes, oftentimes in Scripture, produces very, very soft believers. To where they get so complacent about it. It's just an automatic that when they wake up, well... I'm with God because I live in Israel. Not because I have a relationship with God personally, or not because I brought sacrifices to the temple, but there was a lamb offered once for all, uh, once a year, and that covered me. And so I kind of, you know, kind of. And that produces soft people who then neglect the things of the Lord, take them for granted, and all of a sudden the world creeps in, turns it into a Babylon society again, and it produces hard, solid believers again. And that cycle happens over and over. It's a very tricky business being a Christian mom or dad raising Christian kids. I can make them soft. Not that we purposely want to make their life hard, you know. But it could become, in my kids' lives, because it's new and we haven't let those things in. We've guarded the gates of our family. We let whatever we think needs to come into our lives in. We keep out whatever we think needs to come out. Whatever's not pleasing to God, we try to do that. And so they've grown up in that environment. And it's a very dangerous thing sometimes if we don't ever let them feel the weight. It says train up a child in the way that they should go and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Teaching them the way they should go is not the same as training You guys are going to get tired of the farm stories. But let me tell you, it's wonderful. And we did whatever we could do to prepare ourselves for it. Nothing you can do until you're in it except read and study and watch and learn and hear about mistakes and try not to copy them and just like what you do. But it's a whole other story and there's a whole other education level when you're in it. It's wonderful. Don't regret any of it. But there's some things we do differently now, and there's some things we focus on more and focus less on and things like that. And as the weight of the responsibility of doing these things in our lives is brand new to us, ah, we just are coming to a whole other level of understanding. And when we have Christian kids, they need to feel the weight of walking with the Lord, of what it's like to practically, not just in theory, but to actually teach a Bible study or run a piece of equipment, or show up every single week to clean, or whatever it may be. There's, it's that important. We can teach them Sunday school classes all day long, but if we never teach them how to seek the Lord on their own or to serve God on their own when nobody else is, we've failed. We've just given them data. 
So they're going to produce this wonderful city. They're going to get everybody in place. They're going to set up commerce this way. They're going to set up their governments this way. They're going to do this in this chapter. And it's, it's exactly right. There's nothing wrong with this. The problem is I know how Nehemiah ends. I've read it. And it produces people that become lackluster in their walk with God, unfortunately. Not Nehemiah's fault. But it is our fault. Someone has to own it. It is wonderful to point to somebody else and say, well, if they'd have taught my kids about God like they were supposed to, that Sunday school ministry over there was just, no, 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 you know. And also, maybe I did something wrong as a parent. Maybe if I focused a little bit more on this or that or the other, maybe the responsibility still falls squarely upon the shoulders of every soul that walks. My kids have to choose this. I can indoctrinate them. I can teach them. I can lead them. I can guide them. I can even train them. But they still have to choose to walk without me. And what happens if I walk away from the Lord? Are they going to stop? Are they going to stop walk? Then their relationship was with me to God and not with God Himself. So Nehemiah is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. The people are doing in this chapter exactly what they're supposed to do. And it's up to the people to choose to follow and do this every single day. Now, I don't want to move on too quickly. The verse 29 there, it says, we're going to follow the commandments of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all of those. And then our Lord, capital L, and then lowercase or The first one is his name. The second one is the title of him in their lives. Okay, so the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, whatever, Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament. Um, for the Father, um, the Trinity, however you want to, whatever that name is, it's actually YHWH. We're not sure exactly how that's pronounced. That's why it's either Jehovah or Yahweh. We're not sure because they would take the vowels out because they didn't think you should pronounce the name of God. It was holy. You're not supposed to do that. So this is what we have. Regardless, that's his name. He is our Lord. That's something every one of us in this room has to decide. Is he Lord of my life? Or is he a part of it? Is he my king? Is he my judge? Is he my lawgiver? He, he is that and all that, but I have to willingly put myself under that authority. Every one of us does. And so they decided to do that. We're going to do this. We're going to make the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, our Lord, and we're going to keep his statutes. Here's some of the things they're not going to do, or do, depending on which one we read here. Verse 30, we would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters as our sons. Now, the reason they're saying that is because we have very similar scripture in the New Testament. Don't be unevenly yoked with an unbeliever. Now, it's not necessarily talking about marriage. It does include marriage, but it could be a business relationship or whatever. You get into trouble. When you begin to try to, as a Christian, walk with someone who's not a Christian and try to have fellowship, communion, agreement on all sorts of life decisions you may make, it doesn't work. They come from completely different worldviews. Their goals are not the same. To walk with God, to be pleasing to God, to make sure that your life is above reproach is not something necessarily the world is interested in. They are interested in the prophet. They are interested in moving forward, succeeding those things because that benefits themselves, but they're not thinking about God. 
in a servant's role as him being Lord of their life. And so that's why we're not handing our daughters or our sons over to these other people. First of all, they worship other gods. And if they get married, we've got a decision to make. Are we going to teach them about Moloch? Are we going to teach them about Yahweh and Jehovah? I don't know. I just love him. Love conquers all. Not in that situation. (laughs) You'd be surprised what happens after five years of marriage and you've got some kids and it's now time for them to start thinking about the things of the Lord. Well, I always grew up this way. We worship Moloch in our house. I just assumed we were worshiping Moloch. Well, no, we're not worshiping Moloch. We live in Israel. Of course we're going to worship the God of Israel, right? Whoa, probably should have talked about that before you got married. Yeah, but we loved each other, and our eyes were just, oh, he's so cute. She's so amazing. She understands me. He understands me. Well, here you are. You didn't take God's word to heart. You didn't think it mattered. You thought it, it was, you were above it, beyond it, that we're different from every other group of people that God is talking about here, and, and we're not. So they make that a promise. We're not going to do that as a nation. If the people of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on the holy day. And we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Nobody did that except this group of people. On Saturdays, we're just not going to do commerce. We're going to take a day of rest. We're going to do that because God's commanded us to do that. We're going to relax and not try to gain as much as we can on every single day of the week. We're actually going to take the time to rest like he's called us to, no matter what the world decides to do. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of God. They decided to do that. God hasn't necessarily put that on them. He's, he's done the tithe. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But this is something they decided to do on their own. One-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. To maintain it, to keep it going, to keep it, main, you know, they didn't paint, but you know what I mean. A new rock here, a new rock there in case one crumbles or something. To keep it going. For the showbread, got to pay for that. For the regular grain offering. For the regular burnt offering of the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feasts, for the holy things, for the sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel, and all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests and Levites and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God. A lot of wood, a lot of burnt offerings back then. Got to go find wood. Now, that was not an easy task out there in the middle of nowhere. You know, around here, we're like, wood? What kind do you want? I mean, you know. My goodness, I got 12 dead trees right over there. They're all yours. Not there. I mean, it was, you had to draw lots. Who's going to wood? Oh, it's my, it's my week to cut. You know? And not, you know, <laughs> whoop, whoop, that's the cut. And so there you go on your trek with your camels or whatever you have to carry the wood to bring back for all of these sacrifices. So they drew lots for that. They're all in agreement. A lot of... A lot of things need to maintain the the world um, when Zerubbabel and when Ezra came back and even when Nehemiah came back, they brought back with them a lot of money from Persia, from Babylon, from that 
area, from the world side of things. The world said, yes, absolutely, we want to fund all of it. Build it all at my expense, the king would say. That's what Xerxes said. Build it all. If you need anything, just tell my treasurers on the way there that you need some, some cash and we'll get it done. Now, that can't always be the case. I mean, eventually, you're going to have to maintain this. Eventually, you're going to have to start providing for this stuff. And so they do. They've set this up. Let's do one-third of a shekel. We can afford that. Everybody can do that. It's not a, a burden on anybody. It's the same for the rich guy as much for the poor guy. Made no difference. Let's do a third. Sounds fair. It's a little bit of a tax they impose upon themselves for this. And we, verse 35, made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of all trees, year by year, to the house of the Lord, to bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks in the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, to bring the first fruits of our dough, our offerings, the fruit from all kinds of tree, the new wine and oil to the priests, to storerooms of the house of our God, and to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites." For the Levites should receive the tithes in all our farming communities. And the priest, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our Lord, of, uh, of the house of our God, to the rooms of the storehouses. And so they decided that we're going to do all these things. Now that's according to God. I mean, it's Leviticus and that's Deuteronomy and all that. It's all back there. These are laws that have already been put in a place, but they've decided to go ahead and start doing that now. We want to make sure that the Levites and those who are in charge of the house of God are taken care of. We don't want to make them do other things. And so we'll give them a tenth and then they take and live off of that. And then a tenth goes to the house of God and goes to the storerooms and so on. We want to make sure that. But the key here, I think, is the first fruits. First. Not the remainder. It just shows an attitude of heart. God said, I want the first because, well, first of all, <laughs> it's very easy for us to, on very lucrative years, to tithe or to give. Very easy. Not so easy when things are tight. But if God is doing the first fruits, getting the first fruits of my life, that's the first thing that goes out of my account. The very first thing. Every time we talk about this, um, it's, it's a struggle, but that's, and I don't know why it is, it shouldn't be. I had a, a, a talk with a guy up, up in Hopkins now. A lot of stories from Hopkins. You're just going to have to deal with it. Um, love it so far, anyway. No one's done anything bad to us or anything. Uh, great group of folks. But he said, oh, I think I've been to your church one time. I said, I think yeah, I think I remember it. Years ago, years ago, You know, someone brought me. You know what I like about you? You guys don't pass a plate. And that stuck with me, not because I can pat myself on the back and say, you guys don't pass a plate. Yeah, we're better than everybody else because we don't pass a plate. As soon as I say that, we're passing a plate. We're going to start doing it because that's not. What's interesting to me is that was the most important thing. And so that's why it's uncomfortable to talk about this sometimes. It's because a lot of people walk into the door of a church and just, just keep their hand on their wallet the whole time, and they're just waiting for it, you know, kind of thing that's why we don't pass a plate because it's got to be from the heart. It's got to be voluntary. It has to be willing. It has to be your idea kind of thing. You know, I can talk about it, 
but it has to come from a heart that wants to worship God, not because it's awkward if I don't, you know. They're watching, everybody's looking, and I better, you know, at least do that. You know, whatever. I don't want that. It's got to come from the heart. That, that makes a healthy believer. And that's why I teach, and that's why we talk about this when it comes up in Scripture. A healthy, strong believer it is the first thing that comes out of my account. It's the first thing. God says, I want the first fruits. I'm not asking for a lot. I'm asking for you to acknowledge the fact that I gave you 100% of those fruits. That's why it's the first fruits. Thank you, God, for providing for me. I know that we work and we toil and we do our job like we're supposed to, but the fact that it produced anything for us to take home is of God. And so it's the first fruits, he says, and so that we made it up an aim. That's, the, that's what's going to happen first in our lives is the first fruits. That keeps God on the forefront of everybody's mind. I don't get... I don't forget and get caught up in the world and, and can't wait for Sunday because Saturday I couldn't buy or sell anything because we all made that agreement. Oh, so got 6 a.m. on Sunday morning. Okay, we're ready to make a deal now. Let's go. Let's get back into business. Let's get into the, the first fruits, the first thoughts. When you make these decisions, when a person, I've made these decisions, Jenny and I have made these decisions, we've made a lot of decisions in our lives, and we've never regretted Answering God's call, saying to God, here am I, Lord, send me. Um, here are the first fruits of everything, and then some. We don't stop at 10. We have always made that decision to put God first in our lives, first in our kids' minds. There isn't a time when he's not on our minds, and it's been a blessing. It's been nothing but a blessing. He's always taken care of us. So when we teach about these things, and I'm passionate, it's not because we want to build a building. It's not because I want to get the grass mowed out there. It'll get all. It'll all get taken care of. It's all going to be. There's going to be plenty of gravel. There's always going to be coffee. I promise. Well, I, don't, I better not promise that. God will. God will break all our machines this week and say, "Don't, don't be promising stuff you can't keep." Um, We'll take care of the place. It's always going to be there. It, it isn't, it isn't, that's not the purpose of teaching this. It's because it's a healthy, strong believer that does this. It's a healthy, strong believer that sings a song that they didn't want to sing. It's not their favorite, but because that's what everybody's singing, I'm going to sing it unto the Lord because I'm singing with the people. That's why I came here. If I want personal worship, I would have stayed in the car, turned the radio to exactly what I wanted, and I would have sang the songs that I love. But I've decided to come here, and this is the songs that everybody's singing, so I'm going to sing the songs with everybody. It's a, it's a healthy, strong believer that does that. When we pray, I'm going to pray. When I close my eyes, I'm going to close my eyes and pray. When, I, these are, when, I, when we open the Bible, I'm going to listen, pay attention, and receive everything God has for me. And maybe not all of it, but maybe four or five verses really drove it home right into my heart. It's a healthy, strong believer. This first fruits is a healthy, strong believer. And they know that. Nehemiah knows that. They made a decision to do this because they understand that keeps God in the forefront of our mind. And so they do. Verse 39. For the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the grain, the new wine, the oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are, where the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers are, we will not neglect the house of our God. They had, and they won't do it again. We're not going to neglect it. 
It's of great value to us. And I think that's the rub right there. It's a place of importance. It's a place where you realize what would happen if it wasn't there. What would happen if this wasn't taking place in my life? Um, they just didn't take it for granted, you know. Now, the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem. The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city. Nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know what was bad about the place. As I read commentaries about it, they were all saying, it wasn't very comfortable. It was pretty rubbly, like I said. You know, we got walls, and we've got a place of worship. Um, but for the most part, it's kind of a disaster, you know. And to live there, not on your own piece of land with your own vine, your own fig tree and all that, it was a sacrifice to live here. So they were like, yeah, you know. And in fact, to the point where the volunteers would go live there, and then they said, that's not enough people. We need to draw, you know, draw straws, basically, who's going to live here because we really got to populate this and make sure it continues to go but we also need to occupy the rest of the land too. Very important. It's very none of the ministries are worse or better than the others. We got to have it all, but we definitely have to have that core taken care of. Or we, first of all, we don't have the temple. We don't have a place of worship. We don't have that connection with God. Um, but we need people to live there. So who wants to do it? Well, we will. Oh, you guys are it's a blessing. You know, thank you. Anybody else? Okay, we got to draw straws for a couple hundred more, you know, kind of thing. All right, I'll go. And they did. These are the heads of the provinces who dwelt in Jerusalem, but the cities of Judah, everyone dwelt in his own or in his own possession in their cities. Israelites, priests, Levites, Nethanim, descendants of Solomon's servants, also in Jerusalem dwelt some of the children of Judah and the children of Benjamin. And then he begins to name them, and this is where we're going to kind of breeze through this, okay? Um, so the children of Judah are all of these people. Uh, that's verse uh, 4, or the rest of verse 4. Um, and then in verse 6, it says, All the sons of Perez who dwelt in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Now they go to Benjamin. So Judah, Benjamin, in verse 7. And they name all those guys. And there were 928. Uh, Joel, the son of uh, Zikri, was the overseer. And Judah, the son of Senua, was second over the city. And he goes through the priests. Then he goes in verse 15, also the Levites. Um, uh, and they would also live in these other cities as well. Verse 19, moreover, the gatekeepers had to have those guys there. There's 172 of those gatekeepers. And verse 20, and the rest of Israel, the, of the priests and Levites, were in all the cities of Judah, everyone in his own inheritance. So everybody kind of got, remember they did that roll call thing, and they, uh, they figured out what tribe you were from, and so everybody kind of went to their section, basically. And that's where they live, but they needed to have some people stay in Jerusalem. Um, and then uh, the Nethanim dwelt in Ophel, and Z uh, Ziha and Gishpah uh, were over the Nethanim. Also, the overseers of the Levites at Jerusalem was um, Uzai, the son of Bani, and, and so on. And, and they would do all the service, the singers of the service of the house of God. For it was the king's command concerning them that a certain portion should be for the singers, a quota day by day. Um, and, and that was uh, Pethahiah, of the son of uh, Meshezabel, of the children of Zerah, the son of Judah, was the king's deputy in all the matters concerning the people. So, got him set up. 
Uh, as for the villages and their fields, some of the children of Judah dwelt in these villages and begins to name them and the people in the valley of Hymnon. Also, the children of Benjamin from Geba dwelt in uh, Michmash, Aijah, and Bethel in their villages. And he begins to name all the places uh, where they were settled. Uh, the reason he's taking the time to do that is obviously for other people to read later on. Um, he's documenting it. He's, they settled here. They settled here. Um, if you ever want to know, for those that didn't leave Babylon, where your families are, he wrote this down. He would take it. Here's where they're settled. If they ever decided to leave, they could come back. Because when Xerxes gave, when he gave that command, he said, Jews all over the world return. They are. Not just from that city where he gave the command, but it's happening everywhere. And so this is very important. You line it up because cousin Frida, you know, who went east instead of west or whatever, they need to know where they're going to land and where they, oh, you know, there's, there's my aunt, you know. And so that's why they did all this. For us, it's a little bit like, okay, I, I get it. I mean, for us, Israel is this tiny little sliver of the world. For them, it was very important to find out where. Um, it's like getting uh, kids went into the rodeo yesterday up in Lenox. And, you know, if you get lost at the rodeo, it's kind of nice that you have a meeting point. Basically, you get the you get the idea. Um, and so this was their way of finding their meeting point. Go to this city. You'll find somebody that you're related to. And that's where we close this morning. I don't think we should go into chapter 12. So here's the point. And let's sum it up. They're setting it up. It's kind of mm, little boring to read in the sense that it's like a genealogy. It's like a, a roadmap to settlers, um, a plot map, you know. Some people, that's super interesting. For the rest of it, it's like, no, I just want to know how to get by tomorrow. Tomorrow is Monday, and it's looking me in the face, and I want to make sure I can survive it. Well, what they did to survive what's going to be coming their way is to prepare to build the walls, to get the place of worship set up, to focus their lives completely on God, to give themselves over to the Lord, to put him first in their lives, and you're able to meet these things that are coming your way then because he's in the forefront. He's your guard. He's your protector. He's your Lord uh, in, in heart. He's our Lord, our captain, our, our king, but he's also the God of the universe. I'm on his side, and I put myself under his care, and I can rest in that, and that's what helps with Monday as it comes, or whatever life challenges are coming our way, putting him first now. Now, when we read stuff like that, you know, we're, we're absolutely going to need this this year. I don't know what's going to happen this year. I see things, I'm feeling deja vu, let's put it that way right now. Uh, things are starting to cook again in certain areas of our country, and Regardless of whether that is absolutely going to take place or isn't going to take place, whatever it may be, I know for a fact that we in this room need this today and we need to apply this today so that we're prepared for that tomorrow or the next day or the next week. And so this is a gift from God. This is his foreknowledge through his word, by his spirit, sharing with us, are you going to listen to me and be ready? Because a lot of the people here under Nehemiah's care are nodding, but they're not applying. And that's why we get into problems next week, chapter 12 and 13, because they didn't necessarily do everything Nehemiah and some of the stronger believers did, and they found themselves in bad places, okay? So it's not, it's not like a, you know, look out, here it comes. It's a, 
Our God is faithful to make sure that we have everything we need before it happens. Always gives us our routes, our roads to avoid pitfalls and snares and traps in this world. It's up to us whether we take his advice, whether we follow his guidance. And so hopefully we will this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we love you for your word. We thank you for sharing it with us, for writing it down, for putting it upon Nehemiah's heart to share all of this. For Ezra, for Zerubbabel, all these mighty men of God. Um, for Des, uh, um, Deborah, for Esther, for uh, Marys, all the Marys in the Bible that we were reading on Wednesday night. And we're so thankful for these saints that walked with you and loved you and were passionate about you. And they looked different from everybody else around them. There was tons of people around them living at the time. But the ones that you make note of are those that are absolutely madly in love with you and are devoted. And God, that's who we want to be this morning. This morning, we want to say in our hearts, hear my, send me, use me, however you want to use me this year. I'm answering the call. I'm ready. Help me to have my quiet time, to be prayed up so that I'm ready to give a reason for the hope which lies within me, that I might minister to whoever you bring into my path, that I might look at everything that you do in my life as an opportunity to, well, to keep you first in the, in the front of our minds, in the front of my mind, but also to look with, with joy what is it that you have for me in this? How can I serve you, God, in this? And so I pray that you'd help us to keep that in our hearts. Lord, thank you for this time we've had, for the people. We pray that those online were able to be blessed also and could hear and understand and receive. It's got to be a little awkward still, watching online and, and, and uh, feeling like you're a part. And so I, I hope that they do. Um, and help us to see this week. Help us to keep our spiritual eyes wide open for the opportunities you bring us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good rest of the week. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you.